Because we are moving into the Advent season next Sunday, uh, this is our last Sunday on this series of core values. And I thought I'd start this morning with a pop quiz. So I want you to take 20 seconds, turn to whoever's sitting next to you, and see if you can remember as many of the four core values as, as come to mind that we've hit these past two months. What are those four verbs? What are the four core values? How many of them can you get? You got five seconds. All right, you can check your answers against the slide up here. For two months, we have been been sharing what uh, JCC, and in particular, this discovery team that's been thinking about our values and vision and mission together, what we feel like are the sort of guiding priorities for the life we share together. And those are the values of belonging, belonging to a spiritual family that God calls and and creates and forms together. Second value was was following, following Jesus into a lifelong process of discipleship, learning to imitate him, learning to do that together as a church, obeying all of his commands and teachings. The third value was growth. That we expect uh, that we need the Holy Spirit to help us in in ongoing maturation, in ongoing transformation and healing and and growing into the fruitfulness of of a life in the Spirit of God. And then the, the fourth value that we started into last week is joining, joining God in mission. This morning, with the the time that we have together in worship, I wanted to go a little further with this fourth value of joining. And last week, we we summarized that value in the following uh, statement. We said at JCC, we value joining God's mission, and that's important, it's his mission, to share his renewing life, love, and truth alongside our neighbors. And in order to do that, we're committed to learning how to bless our neighbors, both locally and globally. So as we think about joining God in his mission in the world, we took up this question, well, that that means we need to know where God is working and how God chooses to work. Where is God's mission? And last week, I uh, invited Sarah Cordemanch to share some reflections uh, on Psalm 37 with us. And she shared, in I thought a very practical but also very powerful way, how she and her family have been learning to join God's mission where they have been planted. And how they have learned to notice and, and, and to look for where is God at work in people and places? Where is God working in the lives of neighbors and colleagues and and people that that kind of just intersect their everyday lives. For most of us, learning to to partner with or to join God in mission is is about those ordinary everyday interactions. It's not always going somewhere dramatic. It's about learning to, to shift our paradigm to believe the Holy Spirit is always at work. The Holy Spirit is always going ahead of us, preparing.
preparing people and places in hearts for the mission of, of the life of Jesus to, to, to flourish in the places we live. This morning, I want to take uh, you through a, a kind of quick trip in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts in particular, I want us to, to look at and to notice how the Spirit precedes the church in mission, and then how the Spirit calls us to join in that work. I'm going to share those passages, and then at the end I'm going to ask, um, Josh Riggs is here. Josh is a pastor with the church at Prison Ministry, and he's going to share how he has seen the Holy Spirit go before him in mission, and share a little bit about what's happening, happening in, in their, their work uh, here in the state of Vermont. So let me pray for us as we look at God's Word. Lord Jesus, you... It's only because you have gone in mission, because you are committed to redeeming all things, that we are present here this morning, that we can praise you, that we can testify to good work you have done in our lives. Lord, we desire to see where you're working. Lord, open our eyes so that we can join you. Lord, we pray that as I preach the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you've got a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to the book of Acts. I'm going to jump around to sort of three different spots, and I'm going to move pretty quickly. Um, but you'll, you'll at least have your finger there, and, and you can look at the passages as we go. We did a study of the book of Acts about a year ago as a church. And often we come to the book of Acts and we read it like a, a biography of the early church. And in particular, we have a tendency to read it like a biography about the leading apostles, particularly the life of Peter, the life of Paul. And that, that's perhaps a helpful uh, one lens to look at the, the book of Acts. But if you, if you read the whole thing, you'll notice that there's really only one person, one actor that shows up and spans the action of every part of the book. There's only one person who's there at the beginning and at the end of the mission of the church. And I would contend that the, the primary focus, the primary actor, the primary person described in the book of Acts is not just the apostles, but it is the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you three examples of where I see the primacy, the, the agency of the Holy Spirit going ahead of the church in, in the mission we see described in the book of Acts, and how the Spirit prepares and initiates and goes before us and then how we get invited to join in that sense of mission. So the first example comes right out of the gate in Acts chapter 1. And again, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that many of these stories are familiar to you from our study last year. In Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 4, we see Jesus gathered together with the disciples, the apostles. And he's been resurrected into you know, a bodily form. He's, he's gathered the, the disciples around him, and they are eager. They have all kinds of questions for Jesus. And they're asking about the mission ahead. They want the game plan. 
And they, they start to ask Jesus, is now the time, are you going to sort of send us out and, and cover the earth with your kingdom? Is now the time that you will restore everything? But Jesus gives them a, a charge or a commandment that isn't the one they're expecting. He says to them in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't go out yet. Don't take over the earth with, with mission yet. It says, but instead, wait for the gift my Father has promised you, which you've heard me speak about. And then in verse 8, he explains what that gift will be. He says, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? There's this concentric circles. There's this broadening and expanding of mission described there. But Jesus says at the beginning of mission, mission objective number one is not to run ahead of God. Not to take the world for Jesus, so to speak. Mission priority number one is to wait for the gift that is coming, Jesus says. And so for several weeks, the disciples waited there. They prayed there. They fellowshiped with one another there. And then we're told, finally, in Acts chapter 2, at the time of the festival of Pentecost, they received that promised gift. And Luke tells us that, that from the, the heavens, this, this wind came upon them, and fire fell upon them. And the Spirit filled many that were gathered in the crowd that day. And it never says the disciples made this happen. It wasn't anything they did that, that caused this, this sort of beginning and birth of mission in the church. Instead, what Jesus commanded them to do was to be in the place, to be attentive to where and when the Spirit was active and moving, and to be ready, so that they could then be witnesses to what God chose to do in mission. Right? Being witnesses means God is doing something and we see it. We join it. We celebrate it. The apostles then are not in charge of mission. The Spirit is. And so I think there's, there's a real sense in which the first two chapters of the book of Acts, they set a, a precedent. They set the stage for how mission is going to unfold in the, in the rest of the book of Acts, in the New Testament, and throughout the life of the church even today. The Holy Spirit, in many ways, is the advance scout. Right? The Holy Spirit goes ahead of the church. The Holy Spirit makes things ready. The Holy Spirit coordinates people and events. And then when, when the Holy Spirit has all things ready, we're invited to, to show up to join the Spirit's work, to harvest, to celebrate, to witness. The big idea, though, again, is that wherever the apostles will go, wherever disciples of Jesus will go, wherever we go, we need to know that the Spirit is always there first. Let me repeat that. Wherever we go, the Spirit has already been there first. It's an important principle joining God 
in mission. Just a few weeks ago, I finished reading uh, a recent novel called A Gentleman in Moscow. Someone in the church recommended it. And uh, the two main characters in the book are uh, Alexander, a father, who is a wealthy Russian aristocrat. And, and in the course of the story, he, he comes to become the, the adoptive father of a young girl named Sophia. So there's Alexander and Sophia. And they are uh, actually forced by the Soviet government, this is back in the 1920s and 30s, to live under a kind of house arrest. Only what makes the novel interesting is that their, their house or their house arrest it actually takes place in the Metropole Hotel in downtown Moscow. So they live out their, their lives, these decades, uh, in the confines of this historic hotel. And most of their day-to-day -day life is pretty predictable. Right? They have routines, they, they meet with certain people, they have uh, things to study, work to do. But along the way, in order to keep things fresh and interesting, they make up little games that they play with each other. And one of their favorite games only happened maybe once every few months. And it happened when the father, Alexander, least expected it, when he had sort of forgotten the game even existed. And it worked like this. He might be reading with Sophia in the lobby of the hotel, or they might be finishing a meal in the dining room. And he would forget something back in the room or become tired and, and need to go back up to their room for something. And so his daughter Sophia would sit casually, continue reading or continue eating or doing whatever it is they were doing as he walked out of the room. But just as he rounded the corner, she would get up from her seat and she would race to the back of the hotel where there were the, the housekeeping stairwells. And she would race up the stairs. She would take sort of the hidden back door entrance to their room. And she would, by, by rushing ahead, she would arrive in the room just moments before her father would get there. And she would settle into a chair somewhere. She would still her breathing. And she would surprise him, right, by arriving ahead of him. And her reward in that game was not only the surprised look on her father's face, right, but also this message that she was always going to be one step ahead of her father. And she was always getting, you know, getting to things one step before he was. I think the, the Holy Spirit engages in, in a similar kind of playful mischief. I think he wants to remind us that he is always arriving one step ahead of us. And he's arriving in the places we would least expect him to. Where, let me ask you this, where would you be surprised to learn that the Holy Spirit is working in your life? What places? Are there people that you would be taken aback by if you knew that the Spirit was prompting or stirring or, or ministering to in some way? That he was there in advance of you? So you think about that question, I want to share with you the second example from the book of Acts this morning. It's in Acts 10. And I think it describes what would have been for the early church a very unlikely series of events where the Spirit is in mission. Because up until this point, the church has only been growing in and among one very kind of specific group of people. And those were ethnically Jewish disciples that had converted as, as followers of Jesus. 
Right? The church up to that point had really only been in Jerusalem and Judea. But it was the Spirit's intention, the Spirit's mission to bring into that group of people the surrounding Gentile world, and even the Gentile community that was, was living you know, in their neighborhoods. But in order for, for the Spirit to do that, look at how the Spirit chooses to work. Acts 10 tells us that the first thing God's Spirit chooses, chooses to do is to go to a Gentile, go to someone who is not already part of the church. He goes to the home of Cornelius in Caesarea. And an angel tells Cornelius that his prayers, his longings have been answered and that someone would be sent to share with him God's favor. And so so the angel directs Cornelius to dispatch some of his servants to go find this person. That's what happens first. And then we're told around the same time, the spirit is also coordinating, is also working in the heart of Peter. Right? And Peter is just below Caesarea in Joppa. He's given this vision, this daytime vision, of all these unclean animals on a sheet, you remember. And the Lord convicts him about his dismissiveness toward, toward that which is unclean, and in particular, his Gentile brothers and sisters. And as the vision finishes, the men from Cornelius' home show up at Peter's front door. And the Spirit says, go with these men. And so Peter obeys. So we have the Spirit working over here in the Gentile world in Caesarea. We have the Spirit working in Peter's world in Joppa. But then the the master stroke of the Spirit comes when he brings them all together in one place. We're told that they all arrive and they cram into Cornelius' living room, Jews and Gentiles together, that we're not supposed to share one space like that. They weren't supposed to share meals or living quarters, according to Jewish law. But the Spirit has placed them there so they could be witnesses to what God desired to do. And Acts 10, 44 and 45 says, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message that day. And the circumcised believers, those those Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Again, the point here is not that Peter brings the gospel or brings the Spirit to the Gentiles. Remember, the the Spirit of God was already working in Cornelius' life. He was already speaking to him and ministering to him long before Peter ever shows up. But what God desired is that Peter might be present in that moment, that Peter might become a witness to what God desired to do. And that as the Holy Spirit came upon that community, he would also be able to testify that this is the spirit of the risen Jesus. He could connect those things, celebrate those things, and join in those things. So those are two examples. The last example I want to share comes in Acts 16. And this is in the ministry of Paul. Paul, we know, uh, is, is radically converted by the Spirit of God. He goes out on all these missionary journeys, and he's well into one of those journeys in Asia Minor in Acts 16. And Paul has these notions in his mind of where he's headed. He's got an itinerary all mapped out for himself. And he's going to go into these new new cities and towns in, in Asia. 
to share the gospel. Only we're told in Acts 16, verses 6 and 7, that as he nears those places, he finds the Spirit preventing him from going there. It's curious. What's the Spirit doing? Why would it prevent Paul from going to these places? Well, we're told there at the end of verse 9, that late one night as Paul is beginning to, to drift off into sleep, he too is given a vision. And this time the Spirit sends him a vision of a man in a particular place, a man in Macedonia, who is pleading with Paul for help. And so as Paul awakens from that dream, instead of going further north or east to minister in Asia Minor, he and Silas move west, across the water there into the city of Philippi. And in Philippi, presumably, Paul knows no one there. He's a stranger in that place. But as you begin to read through Acts 16, it's evident that the Spirit knew many people in that city. The Spirit knows there is a cloth dealer named Lydia who is hungry to know more deeply the hope of God. The Spirit knows there is a slave girl in Philippi who is needing deliverance from the oppression of her master and from the oppression of evil spirits. Spirit even knows a jailer in the city of Philippi who will soon be pleading with Paul for help in many ways, just like the vision he had a few nights before. All of them, though, as Paul arrives, as Paul follows the Spirit, where the Spirit is leading him, the Spirit makes an introduction to. The Spirit initiates an introduction to, so that Paul and his companions can join with the mission God has already started there in that city. And I think this should all be of, of good news to us. It should be a relief to us to know that God is actually in charge of mission. Not us. It takes the pressure off of us. God is already in conversation with our neighbors and with our colleagues and in our workplaces and in our communities. And what he's asking us to do is not come up with or concoct some new mission, but simply to show up, to listen to, to bear witness to what he is already doing ahead of us. Each month, we like to invite one of our partners in mission to share with us about how they see the Spirit working and moving in the context of their lives. And so this morning, as I mentioned, I've asked Josh to come up. Josh, if you want to come up now. And, uh, oh, sorry, I had Josh over here. He's over here this morning. He uh, pastors with the church at prison, and uh, he's going to take a, sh a few minutes to share where the Spirit it's working and where he's seeing the Spirit go before him and give you a little bit of sense of, of what they're up to now. Thanks for being here, Josh. All right. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Dave. That's beautiful. Um, so I owe some of y'all an apology this morning as I was praying when I woke up 
Um, many prayers were for other people and for this congregation, but I had some self-centered prayers. And uh, God has made me a person who sweats a lot under pressure, like literally sweats. And I prayed three self-centered things. I asked for peace, power, and to be as cool as a cucumber as I, as I was up here. And I, I watch out what you pray for, right? So uh, we're all very active and alive. Our brains are up, and uh, it feels good. You don't even need coffee this morning. Hallelujah. So... Uh, I'm Pastor Josh Riggs um, with the church at prison. I've uh, been a, a pastor, an official pastor there for a couple, two and a half years now or so. And uh, for the last six years, uh, I was radically converted, uh, just like you were mentioning about Paul, uh, overnight, completely uh, surrendered and filled with the Holy Spirit um, and knocked off of my high horse, which was really high, and I... And uh, I praise God for that. And it was very, very quickly, um, within literally weeks, okay, of my conversion, that I was called to prison ministry. Um, I drove by the, um, the South Burlington Chittenden facility where the women are, and God put it on my heart. He said, start praying for them, son. And I started praying, and from that prayer, here I am today, praise God. Um, so I have been um, going to the Holy Spirit Seminary of Hard Knocks for the last six years. Um, uh, my training in, in, um, in Christ and in the gospel has literally been immersing myself in the prisons and learning with other prisoners. I started learning with prisoners. I was taught uh, everything by the Holy Spirit that I know, you know, working in the, these facilities. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. Um, I learned how to pray in those facilities. And I'll, I'll tell you an example of uh, learning how to pray in, that, in, in a prison. Um, we do things a little bit differently in, in prison ministry when we're inside the prisons. Um, we uh, have a two and a half hour church service, which is, seems pretty long, but what it allows us to do is all sit in a circle together, sort of like the Quakers used to do, you know, the circle of friends. And uh, maybe myself or maybe Marcus um, or somebody else might give a message or teach on a uh, uh, something in the Bible, and then that would open it up for us to sort of uh, iron sharpen iron and for all of us to um, talk about this stuff. And um, it allowed room for the Holy Spirit to come in and do what he does best, right? So we could kind of get out of the way and just let God do his thing. And then it, it just opens up these beautiful things. Next thing you know, somebody's crying over here and then they're being led to baptism and hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, when I was first going into uh, the prison, I learned a, a lesson on how to pray for somebody. Um, a man came in, and uh, I had known this guy. Everybody in the prison knew this guy. He was, like, really popular. He had been in and out uh, all of his life. And, um, and I'll never forget it because uh, he had a tattoo on his forehead, but he actually 
maybe didn't like it, so he had a tattoo or kind of erase the tattoo on his forehead. So just lesson learned, if you're going to get a tattoo on your face, make sure you like it. Um, but I always thought it was interesting that he kind of crossed it out. Um, I love this guy. And um, so he comes in one day to the um, sanctuary, which is the visiting room at the church at Northwest, which is in St. Albans, Swanton. And uh, he walks in, and he has a uh, look of utter dis distress on his face. He was, um, what you could, when you see someone who's in very deep pain, physical pain, you know it, and you can just see it. And he was in very serious physical pain. And um, I just ran to him, and I asked him, what is going on? Because he had looked like he had just tears just flowing down him and uh, pain upon his face. And he showed me a boil that was on his shoulder that looked like something straight out of a, a horrific science fiction movie. I mean, it was like huge, almost the size of my fist, and I knew when I saw it that it was infected. I knew that he needed uh, medical attention, and I knew that he was in extreme pain. And uh, the Holy Spirit uh, told me, I want you to stay with him. I want you to lay hands on him and not stop praying for him until this service is over. And we sat in the back of that um, visiting room throughout the whole service, and he was wailing and moaning and crying in pain. Um, now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background first, okay, or at first, after, before, whatever. Um, and uh, I've been doing some, just some talking to him, and I found out that he was illiterate. He did not know how to read, okay? He had suffered all of his life from nightmares that, um, that tormented him. He was not, he was scared to go to sleep at night because he didn't want to face the nightmares. And I remember asking him once, I said, um, why do you think you have these nightmares? And he, he paused for a minute, and he thought about it, and he said, when I was six years old, I was driving in the car with my father, and I, said, I talked back to him, and we were on the highway, and he stopped the car and took me out of the car, and he beat me really bad, and he left me there. And he left me there for six and a half hours by the highway, a six-year-old. And he, when he came back, I got in the car, and that was one of the first times I ever called out to God in my life, okay? This is the reality of what the enemy has kidnapped from him and what there's a part that the enemy has kidnapped from all of us that Christ redeems and makes whole. Praise God. Okay? So just to give you a context of my flock, okay, and Marcus's flock. Um, so I'm sitting in the back of the congregation, and I'm praying. And I, for the first time, uh, I'm feeling like I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. Like, I have just got this flow of prayer. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm praying over him, and I'm not, I have not stopped. And people were even like, you know, he was getting so loud that people were like, could you... Could you just go into the hallway for a little bit, you know, because it's just, we can't hear anything. 
And we did that, and we came back in. Um, I had asked them, I said, what ha have they done for you for this pain? And he said, I got two Tylenol a day. I've been complaining about this for four days, and I've gotten two Tylenol a day. He knew that after this church service that he would be able to go and get two Tylenol, and that would at least give him some semblance of relief. He did not need Tylenol. He needed medical attention, okay? So my prayer was for God to deliver him from this evil. And, um, and I prayed and I prayed for him. And when the time came for church to be over, my heart was absolutely breaking for this man. Um, I love this man. And, um, and all I knew is that I wouldn't know anything for another week because I can't call him and say, hey, buddy, what's going on? You know, I can't do that. I just had to show up the next week and pray like crazy for a week for him. Well, what happened was I came back and I was just eagerly waiting for him to, to, to return and uh, just to see what had happened. I hoped that he had gotten medical care. And when I saw him coming down the hallway into the visiting room, I saw someone completely different, okay? He was beaming and glowing. Okay, it was like, um, like uh, uh, the, the, the glow, that, the shine that people have when they've been in the presence of God, okay? And he was beaming and glowing, and he ran up to me, and he put his arms around me, and he said, and I, was I wasn't Pastor Josh then. I was just somebody learning at that time. He said, Brother Josh, like, I love you. Thank you so much. You prayed for me that whole time, and it gave me peace. It gave me peace while I was suffering, and, um, and just, I thank you. And I said, wow, yes, of course, but you've got to tell me, like, what happened? What happened? And uh, he said, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I had been screaming in agony, okay, with this pain, and they finally took me to the hospital, when I got to the hospital, they had to do an emergency surgery upon, on me and to take this thing out because it had gotten infected. And, um, and he's just, he's still beaming with joy on his face, okay, with just joy, okay? And, and he said, um, he showed me his fingers, which had been sort of permanently fixed like this. And he said, I can't move these fingers anymore. I'm paralyzed now because the infection had gone down and gotten into my fingers. And, um, and there was not one bitter root in this man, okay? This man, when he, um, he was illiterate and he, he prayed and when he slept that night, he kept that Bible right on him, and he clutched that Bible as protection against those nightmares, okay? So I say this because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, amen? And, um, and, and that is a, a, a manifestation of somebody who had every right in the world, every worldly mindset to say, I have been abused by the system. I am wrong. That was wrong. I am bitter. I am bitter about this. But instead, he just had a joy. 
He had a joy that someone sat and prayed with him. He had a joy of the Lord, okay, in, in him. And I just was thinking about how what Jesus says that I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you had hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I learned a lot about what it meant to be a child of God. I learned a lot about what it meant to pray. I learned a lot about a lot of biblical things in just that one thing. And there are hundreds of testimonies that I could tell you about prison ministry. Um, but that is just one of them. And, and so what we are is we are a, uh, I guess you would call it a Protestant, non-denominational church. Um, we are um, the, 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 the Protestant non-denominational church that goes into all six of the prisons through, uh, in the state of Vermont through different affiliates in different regions, okay? And uh, the, the number one um, point of our mission, which every single one of you is co-laboring with us in, because I know what this church has poured into our ministry, okay? Uh, JCC has uh, gone above and beyond um, uh, uh, just the financial needs that we have. Uh, Y'all are one of our biggest church donors. You're one of our biggest monthly donors. So I am here on this, like, eve of Thanksgiving. Uh, It's not a a, a coincidence, okay? I am here to say thank you all for contributing and co-laboring with us, okay? Um, we go into to these prison facilities. We hold a church service that's really long and really spirit-led and really uh, open for us to, to, to talk good dialogue together. Um, we're really there to nurture people and to preach Christ crucified and the power of his resurrection and how that applies to our inner healing. Um, to preach forgiveness, you know, uh, to, to just teach these things, to, to teach forgiveness to, to that man, okay, and to, to have him get to a place where he can forgive his father who left him on the side of the road. That is what we do inside Bible study and also one-on-one pastoral counseling. Now, in this season of COVID, we really aren't able to go into the prisons, okay? So I would like for anyone um, who has a passionate heart about these things to pray like the persistent widow that we can safely re-enter to do the stuff that we do. In, in prisons, okay? Now, until then, um, myself, I've been uh, producing through the church at prison a uh, weekly church service video so that they can have that inside and they play it on a loop all Sunday for people to just access on their little screens inside of their, um, inside of their units. So um, the word of God is going in, in that way that it kind of was at the beginning of COVID for all churches. You know, we just had to kind of do what we could. So, um, but be praying that we can get um, back into these facilities. Um, we desire to really uh, start with the home, too, and, um, and enter into the homes of people who are coming out of prison so that we can 
get a uh, barometer for the spiritual atmosphere and the needs of these of, of the homes that maybe a brother or a father or a son are coming into um, and be there for the family when they get out. And of course, you know, um, we have a whole aftercare ministry that centers around the transition of coming out of prison and integrating back into society, okay? So um, uh, I know a couple of people who in the middle of January were um, um, maxed out on their sentence and they have no place to go because they have burned their bridges with family, they don't have any friends, and they um, are released into downtown St. Albans in the snow with maybe whatever they came into jail with five or six years ago, okay? And um, our commitment is to never um, let that happen for those who are in Christ that we have made uh, connections with, okay? Um, so if we make a connection with you in prison, if you come into our church service, you have like come sort of under the wings of Christ and we're going to take care of you as, our, as uh, the responsibility of our church and the body of Christ. So what we do is we help them with transportation, we get them backpacks, cell phones, groceries, clothing, um, sometimes they might need a first month's rent into a sober house, um, rides to appointments, to court dates, to probation and parole. We are there to assist with these things so that they are not just left out in the cold alone and by themselves. Um, it is a, um, it, it is the joy for me uh, to be able to do that. Like, uh, and Pastor Pete, uh, Pastor Peter Fisk, who started this church, um, gosh, almost like 30 years ago, um, and, and his wife, Pastor Joanne Fisk, um, this is all established by them. Is all established by them. Myself and Marcus are like a new generation coming in and doing what they have established. So really, I need to uh, honor them today in, in that. Um, another thing that we do is we offer uh, free of charge one-on-one -on -one pastoral counseling for anyone who in the state of Vermont who has been incarcerated. Now, these counseling are, these counsel, this is a really, really good thing because it keeps the ironing sharpening iron. It keeps them in the word. It keeps them uh, renewing of their minds. And it also leads to discipleship. Um, and uh, that, that's ultimately kind of the goal that we all want uh, everyone who comes out to um, who have surrendered to Christ is to just go into discipleship and just see what is God calling them to do? You know, what, how can you heal uh, the community? What has the enemy kidnapped from you that Christ has redeemed in you so that you can go out and be a healer too? Um, and one thing that we have too is the New Life Crew, and this is established by Pastor Peter Fisk. So we have a construction company called the New Life Crew. The only prerequisite to working for us is that you must have a criminal record. If you're not a criminal, sorry, go somewhere else, okay? And, um, and, and now that is uh, such an important thing. Um, we, we have a lot of jobs lined up even in, for the wintertime, and um, 
Um, it is a livable wage. Um, we, you know, ideally are trying to get people at like a $20 an hour type type wage. And if there is some um, skills that they have, then we can increase that, you know. So, um, so a new life crew is is such an important part of this redemption narrative that God is doing through this mission field. Um, also, I just want to honor uh, my brother Marcus Szynski, who has always been a part of this church since I have been here, and um, always been coming in faithfully and and preaching the word of God and just just loving on people and. Since COVID, um, his street ministry, the Breaking Chains Christian Fellowship, um, has been out in Battery Park on Tuesday morning and, and serving breakfast to everybody who is in that park. I mean, you're talking people who are homeless or house insecure. Um, there's all sorts of walks of life there, and all are welcome to Jesus' table that Marcus is bringing there. And, and, and Marcus is cooking and he's praying and he's carrying his eight-foot cross and and I don't know about you but like I haven't been anointed to just boldly carry an eight-foot cross around and Marcus does that and he is anointed to do that so what he is doing with his street ministry it's an affiliation of the church at prison but what you're doing Marcus is you are are keeping people out of jail you are getting to them before they get there. And I just want to honor you, brother, because I, I just see all that the Holy Spirit is doing uh, through you and in you. And when you carry that eight-foot cross around, that cross speaks truth. That cross speaks so much through the love that him and all the friends that we have that go out and, and just love on people out in the streets. Uh, hallelujah, praise be to God. So, okay, so I just want to, I'll, I'll finish with this, and I want to show a short video that we made that we're very proud of. Um, Jason Bushy from 6-5 Films, he's a local guy, and he made this video for us, and it's really, really cool. And the guy who was in the video, um, J Jamel... Jamel Knight, NYT, Jamel Rogers is his name. He is a graduate of the church at prison. Uh, when he got out of prison, um, he went to New York City, and God said, God led him to New York, and he started singing on the streets, uh, just singing in subways, and now he actually has a record deal, and he's been, he's got videos on BET and all this stuff, so like, God is, and, and all of his songs are like really uplifting, positive song. So that's who the guy is in the video. And uh, I want to thank you all uh, for listening to me. Thank you, Pastor Dave. And I, you know, what we do for the least of these, we do unto Christ. And, and that is our, all of our calling. So you have all been a part of this ministry, and I thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for Josh. Thank you for Marcus. Thank you for Pete and Joe Fisk. Lord, would you continue to go before them in the power of your spirit, would you show mercy and grace um, in our prisons, but also to those who are our witnesses? Lord, may they enter into the fullness of what you prepared and help us to come around that as the local body of Christ in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.